Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us online on Twitter at political underscore beats. Also find us on Facebook. Subscribe to our feed, get the new episodes as they're released through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or go right to nationalreview.com. Click on Podcasts, find all the fine NR podcasts there. Listen, leave reviews where possible to help others find the program. We also direct you to our thriving and ever-popular Patreon page at patreon.com slash politicalbeats. Support us there. Help the show stay ad-free as it is now. There's entry-level support for, uh, well, for, for entry-level uh, for support and also for voting privileges. We'll have a 2023 uh, poll up in a week or two. Mid-level for early access to our programs and add a higher audio quality. And then our upper-level bestest friends, Early access, higher audio quality, monthly exclusive content episodes, remastered old shows, playlists, and more. All of that accessible at patreon.com slash politicalbeats. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? Oh, actually, I'm not doing well at all, Scott. Uh, a disquiet follows my soul. I'm very agitated. My mind's not right. My mind's not right. We'll see if we can get your mind right somewhere along the lines of uh, somewhere along the way for this particular episode here today. Jeff is on Twitter at Esoteric CD. Our guest for today's program is a return guest from one of our most, I think it's safe to say, one of our most popular shows that we've done on Credence Clearwater Revival. He returns today. He is White House reporter for. Real Clear News and Real Clear Politics. Find all his writing there. You'll hear his voice inside the White House press briefing room on nearly a daily basis. He's on Twitter, at Philip Wegman. He is Phil Wegman. Phil, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. We are ever so pleased to have you back. For those who missed the CCR episode, and I, you may have been in a different place at that point. I don't even yeah, remember. There's, there's been a career change since then, <laughs> onward and upward. For so tell us uh, uh, what's changed since last time, where you find yourself now. So I listened to the CCR episode for all of five minutes because I can't stand to hear my voice uh, on recording. <laughs> but it's funny. Uh, back then I was at the Washington Examiner. And we were joking about uh, the resignation of one Michael Flynn. And we were like, oh, this is like a 24-hour news cycle. There's nothing to this. That was like in 2016. And, and that guy's became... like a bad penny who just didn't stop showing up. <laughs> and like the whole uh, Russian uh, collusion question just like didn't stop and that right. defined the next four years. So um I went from the Washington Examiner, where I was on the editorial board uh, with with Tim Carney, uh, to covering the White House in 2019. Um, I covered uh, the former guy. Now I'm covering the present guy. And uh, thanks to you guys, I am not at the White House briefing today. Um, I'm covering something much more interesting. <laughs> and Talk uh, about more interesting. Boy, this one's a piker of a show. That uh, specific, more interesting thing is a band that over and over again, uh, we were told, the meeting Jeff and, uh, and I, we were told that uh, you should do a show on this band, you'd love this band, why don't you talk about this band, do more. And there was a reason! <laughs> yeah, we didn't know. Uh, There's a good reason why. <laughs> but uh, The National, The National is the band that we covered today with Phil Wegman, and so we, we turn it back over to Phil to start. 
tell us a little bit about, uh, well, how you found out about the, the National, why you love them, and why other people should care about this music. So I'm worried at the outset here because I know that there are a lot of other reporters and huge fans of the National who uh, live and breathe these lyrics and this music perhaps more than I do. Uh, so <laughs> I apologize in advance if you get angry fan mail saying that uh, I didn't know what I was talking about, which, you know, might be true. But um, yeah, the reason I love the National is like everything else. I, I love it because my older brother showed it to me uh, back in the day. And he came home from college in 2006 or 2007. And I started listening to what he had on the car, what he would put on the radio, and that was the national. So um, that's the origin story for me, and I've I've loved them ever since. So I, I guess in retrospect, I'm really grateful that he didn't like Nickelback or some other band. my time in high school and then into college and from ninth grade on basically when I first heard this band that my brother showed me like that's what college meant that's what um, growing up meant and all of those angsty lyrics um, I thought that was the the real world so you know whether it's you know fake empire on boxer or Blood Buzz Ohio on High Violet or Mr. November on Alligator. These are all the songs that I was constantly listening to um, throughout uh, high school. And I mean, like, let's face it, too. I, I don't feel like too much of a poser because a lot of people come to the National not from their first albums, but later when the band hits its stride. And I think that's what's interesting about this band. Like, they, they, they have always accelerated, um, although the degree of change, the degree of improvement from those early albums uh, then to, you know, when they hit their stride in, in the middle with Boxer and High Violet are, you know, a, a little different, but they're, they're, they're constantly on, on the upswing. Everybody was gone You were standing on the street Cause you were trying not to crack up Born and driver still on now I only think about Los 
I think the reason why I love the National is, you know, whenever I'm I'm listening to them, it means that I've got a, a long project, a, a feature I'm working on, or, or a big interview, and I'll have them on in the background mm-hmm. because you can just listen yes. to everything without necessarily going deep on the lyrics. Because when you listen to the lyrics, it tends to be a little depressing at times, <laughs> and. Um, you know, well, it just means it can be appreciated on two separate just, levels. Just, right. just appreciated on two separate levels. And so um, re-listening to the albums in preparation for this um, was a little bit like stepping into a time machine for me. Um, you know, I, I listened to those albums and I'm back home in the middle of middle of nowhere, Indiana. And I'm just convinced that if I work hard enough and I study hard enough and I do enough work on the front end that, you know, I'm going to be able to get to the same school as my older brother, or I'm going to be able to make it just like him. Um, that, that everything, you know, it, it might be difficult in the moment, but maybe it'll be all right. And I think that um, the national national is really perfect for, you know, obviously angsty teenagers. Um, and I think that in the years since high school and college, like, there's this critique that's developed in my mind whenever I uh, pay attention to the lyrics, which is that, you know, they, they really are an, a band that creates angsty music for <laughs> socioeconomically comfortable people. Um, <laughs> like, there's a reason why the Obama campaign uh, decides to um, take Fake Empire and, and Mr. November and, and, and glob onto those. Um, you know, the the front man is married to a former New Yorker editor, right? Like they, they split their time between uh, Ohio the lyrics for the and group. Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what I think is is beautiful about the National is, uh, you know, the the front man is a, a tortured artist, obviously, but it's almost as if he's going through all of this existential pain and all of these crises so that you don't necessarily have to as an adult.
don't want to have to constantly suffer what he is suffering through uh, to make this music. And I'll save you from my eighth grade poetry analysis, but I think you know the, the reason why you need poetry is the same reason why you need the national because but, there's going to be a moment when you're so low that you think to yourself, am I the only one who has ever felt this way? Or, or you know, when things are so great, you're terrified that they're not going to last. And I think that's what the national puts into words with their music. I mean, everyone has experienced that moment where you realize like, no, I can't pine for her anymore. And I certainly can't love her. She's gone. I screwed it up. It's all my fault. Um, I'm going to die alone. And so I should just, (laughs) you know, drink more, read more Tennessee Williams and move on with life. Move on with life. The, the question is, has anyone felt this low before? Has anyone been this terrified of, of losing success? And, and, you know, what Matt is not so subtly saying is, um, to both questions, is, is yes. Like, you you are not alone. Other people have felt this way. And I think that what's interesting is the music is so broad, uh, but it's also very specific and it allows a lot of eisegesis because you can immediately fit yourself into those moments, uh, regardless of, of what album it is. And and for me, I remember, you know, standing on um, the subway waiting for the call that didn't come or being terrified uh, after I got home at, from a, a late evening thinking, did I say the wrong thing? Did I make a fool of myself? Does everyone know uh, that I have no idea what I'm talking about? And and those are the songs that are the soundtrack to those moments in your life. You think you're young, young, middle class. They say it doesn't matter. Fifteen blue shirts and womanly hands. You're shooting up the ladder. Your mind is racing like a pro now. God, it doesn't mean a lot to you One time you were blowing young ruffian Oh my God, it was a million years ago Absolutely, and and so I, I think that, you know, you can tease the National and say that they're you know, indie dad rock. And I, you know, I think there's something to that. Oh, but... no, that's Wes Wilco, my friend. Wilco <laughs> is truly the, the, the grandfathers of indie dad rock. Absolutely. But I, I think that, 
what the national is doing is they're essentially saying all of this angst, all of this trouble that you may feel like you are alone going through. No, you're not alone. It might not be okay in the end, but other people have experienced this as well. And um, I like the, the melancholy music. I like the national. And so should you. This is beautiful. This is, you know, what I'm realizing is that the national was was um, your Radiohead for me. You know, my my version of them was had to have been Radiohead when I found them in high school in the '90s. Right, the bends, fake plastic trees, all this stuff that felt like really deep, and like you know, thoughtful that you know that you could be like a weird, awkward, odd kid, emotionally thoughtful, and all sorts of alienated too. And then of course you you eventually reacquaint yourself with the real world, right? And then you you. you grow with the music and the music grows too if the band is good enough so i'm gonna speak from a completely different perspective than phil's and this is why this show is hilarious me mr music fan numero uno you would have thought oh geez jeff is the biggest radiohead fan on the planet he loves arcade fire he's into andrew bird he likes leonard cohen loves nick cave well then of course jeff knows every album by the national (laughs) i have never heard a national song until two weeks ago folks two weeks and that's not a joke they completely escaped me under my radar and this happens to a person like me i knew who they were this isn't a pure old 97s take where like the old 97s i when would scott pose them to me famously i didn't even know the band name i was like well this is they're clearly not that great because you know, i've never even heard of them you know wrong uh i knew the national and in fact i only knew them because they actually started get, coming to my attention around 2003 or so with sad songs for dirty lovers which you know, on the radiohead forum that i lurked on and no i didn't lurk on actually i lurked it over um this Jeff, is what's one a forum a uh, forum yeah exactly <laughs> who knows this is this old era it's, it's almost like talking about you it's, know like uh it's like a bulletin you know, board but yeah exactly like, yeah, bbs dial-up <laughs> modems right? follow-up question what is a bulletin board <laughs> exactly what's a modem right um but anyway so like you know back on the radio headboards you know we had a music section and so everyone talked about new music the national was one that everyone talked about that is the closest they ever came to my attention i knew they were big i remember when they be like they went all out uh, with Alligator. I remember that getting a lot of attention. But at that point, I was getting ready to go to law school. And then in law school, I had to study for law school and also, you know, get to know my wife, who was then my girlfriend. So we were dating at the time. I had a lot of other things on my plate. And so things that didn't just fall into my lap, like Andrew Bird, I missed entirely. I regret it. I regret it so much. This band is wonderful. You know, Phil talked about how they might sell, like, you know, Matt Berninger's lyrics might sort of ventriloquize, but it's this, like, middle-class, comfortable, like, you know, white guy suburban, you know, anxieties. You know, the already anxieties of every guy who ever went to a decent college and went majored in English. You know, which is kind of me, too, (laughs) frankly. You know what I mean, right? You know, like, with the the humanities dudes. Um, And uh, it's true because he just, frankly, talks about universal human impulses that people in those situations are always going to to feel i like his lyrics and the thing that shocks me the most about them is how the lyrics and the music aren't like done completely by the same artist mm-hmm. so the music on the national isn't written by matt berninger at all and the music is frankly what grabbed me the first about this band the music is done by the Desner brothers for the most part except for the first record which i actually like a fair amount uh but after that they write every almost everything the musical for the band and 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 
you know, Berninger just does the lyrics. So it's surprising to see how sympathetic the one is to the other. And I did a little research again, not knowing anything about this band. And uh, what he said is, he's like, oh, you know, they submit to me their demos and, and I work my lyrics around the feelings that I get from their songs. So it's a beautiful synthesis of, of I guess, a lot of people who are gloomy, not just one, because this music has some of the most wistful sounds to it that you can imagine. The, the thing I would characterize the most about the national is their ethereality. cuts through even on their loudest and most raucous or and their most post-punk like or their most like early folky or later electronic kind of their most recent stuff is that they have the lightest and most graceful of touches arcade fire who i guess i'm going to be comparing them to when we do this show they you know we're not one sometimes for subtlety. They were the heavy, dramatic touch. The National has quite a bit of flair, but what I'm discovering about them listening to them for the first time is, is how wonderful they are with dynamics and with finding uncommon textures and sounds that match these lyrics so well. This is a show where I'm really glad that we can record it right now, this year. Uh, but I also wish, like, uh, unlike almost any other we've recorded, I want to circle around a year from now and record it again. Because I know that, it, that a year from now, my opinions about these albums and these songs will be so much more settled than they are now. Uh, because they won't be as new to me. And I will definitely be going back to this material over and over. So, you know, I, again, you know, as Phil pointed out, like, you know, the, the journalists of the world who are also music dorks are, are waiting for us to not screw this up and well, you know, I'm new to this, but I'm going to give you my honest takes on it. But, you know, that's the nice thing about being me is that, like, I don't know what's cool or uncool in their discography. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm just going to tell you, like, you know, I don't care if it's, like, you know, overplayed or not, but, you know, Mr. November, that's one hell of a great song. This is nothing like it was
Yeah. Yes, and uh, like Jeff, I've, it's it's a little freeing as you go through a discography, not knowing what the the consensus is on really any of these records or songs necessarily. Uh, I, I, I I gather Boxer is very well beloved by fans, but I, you know I don't know the specifics, and so as Jeff and I talk. Uh, and this episode, yeah, it's it's a lot of uh, uh, sort of unvarnished opinion. It's it's what we think uh, without knowing what other people think. So that's what's I like those up. first two albums a lot more than most folks. I tell you that we'll get to mm-hmm. that in, in a second. I you know uh, much like Jeff, uh, I knew the National, and I, I I may have heard a song or two, but nothing specific. But it's a band that has popped up over and over again as people are are asking us to do shows, and you'd love this band and. You know, the, the Wikipedia description is uh, The National has been compared to Joy Division, Leonard Cohen, Interpol, Wilco, Depeche Mode, and Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And, uh, like, h- how is this not Jeff's favorite band in the whole wide world? How, how, <laughs> how is he not somehow caught up in, uh, in, in uh, the mania surrounding The National? Well, he wasn't. And that's okay, because I wasn't either. And I, I have a little bit of an explanation for that, I think, as we get uh, to talk about the, the music a bit. But much like for Jeff, yeah, it's new to me. I, I'll say a few things here, but I think a bulk of my commentary we'll say for walking through the music uh phil alluded to the fact that this is music you know for for angsty teens and he expounded on that a bit and i think it's true in that it's not just teens right it's angsty adults and it's it's married people and it's essentially anybody who has relationships with anyone else which is everybody so there, there's always this something. stuff doesn't feel juvenile to me at no all. not at yeah, all not at all not at all not at all um and 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 we also had that question it's not weezer There's not a pork and beans anywhere in the Nationals' discography. Uh, We we had a question on the most recent Ask Us Anything exclusive content edition about whether or not certain albums we feel the need to listen to at certain parts of the year. If an album reminds you of autumn or spring, and both Jeff and I essentially said, you know, it's it's really mood-based, right? When you you know the mood you're looking for and, and, and songs and music that matches that mood, boy, that's the definition of a lot of what this band does, is is set the mood, whether or not it is music based or lyric based and as phil was kind of saying you you can look back and say you know i'm not the only person to feel this way uh people have come out and gone out the other side and and it's and it's all right you you can kind of commiserate around music like the national makes and i think the last thing i want to say is um jeff talked about being sort of brought in by the music the more i listen to the national the more I concentrated on the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, that's what's driving uh, what I love about this band. The music is great, and it's wonderful, and it helps to set the mood. And these guys are really talented, and they got a great, great drummer that really can, can sort of set the tone for these songs. But so much of what you think about the national, I think, comes down to what you think about Matt Berninger and, and his voice his delivery and his lyrics and that's why when i when i sort of wrote down you know who you know we were i went down that wikipedia list of who they sound like who do i think they sound like jeff mentioned arcade fire i think there's a lot of arcade fire here and um, the influence there has to like i mean they they were influenced by the national I, there's moments yeah, on yeah whatever yeah. i'll get into it later I, I think there's i think there's some wilco there certainly you know sure. post the first Bennett, album, post, sure. right past a ghost is born uh, that stuff even even through later national things, a band that's not is not necessarily musically similar in a lot of ways, is the Hold Steady. But in the way that so much of I think 
what you feel about the Hold Steady depends on how you feel about Craig Finn and his lyrics and his delivery. Whether or not you like the Hold Steady is like a litmus test on whether or not you like Craig Finn. A lot of what the National is is a litmus test on what you think about Matt Berninger. What do you think about his delivery? What do you think about the way he writes lyrics? What do you think about the sometimes, I'll say sometimes, overly literate way he writes through a song? A lot of what you think about the National comes down to what you think about their lead singer. Another sunny side to face this. to be made there as well. A little bit of Radiohead, I think, is, is, is apparent too. I'm missing a band. I'm missing a part somewhere, and I'm hoping it pops up somewhere in the course of our conversation today to sort of complete that comparison I'm trying to make. But um, it, it, it was, it's, it's, a, it's a rewarding band that, that has morphed not in massive ways, but you know there, there's changing happening throughout each album. And one of those words we use as a... Uh, uh, sometimes can be used as a pejorative, but not in this case, and not in like when we talk about Spoon. It's a really consistent band. Hard pressed to find something released by the National that you're not going to like parts yeah. of or songs off of. They're a very consistent band too through these past mm-hmm. what twenty twenty one years or so at this point, and that's listen, a big I, deal too. Right. Listen, I, I guess I'll take you know take the ball here and and, and punt it for kickoff and by 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 taking up your question about Berninger's voice as I talk about this you know the genesis of this band. It's not like a super fascinating one. They, they, I think they were all like they all went to to art school in Cincinnati area. Like or graphic you know, like design. Like yeah, yeah. Graphic design. I art school. It's like it's like Talking Heads meeting at RISD, basically. Same idea, right? And then of course they all found themselves in Brooklyn as as people in Cincinnati eventually who hipsters in, in Cincinnati eventually become hipsters in Brooklyn. Uh and so that was where they, they got together and they had day jobs. Like they were working for dot com companies and uh, you know the, the ways people make ends meet in Brooklyn in 1999, 2000, 2001, and they recorded their first album on the side. And that's where the national, the debut album in 2001, uh, it comes out. Uh, the one that has John Lennon on the cover. No, it's not. It looks exactly like John Lennon, but it is not. I thought forever it was a, like a photograph of John Lennon in 1979. See, I think more like, uh, what's the actor? Uh, uh, Adrian, Adrian Brody. Is that I'll buy yeah. that too with yeah. the sunglasses on. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. but they both had that similar craggy thing going on, right? Like, like late stage Lennon. Uh, but before it's the we drummer, get, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's their drummer who's just like you know enjoying you know basking by the poolside. Now, before we get to the first album, I guess you know we want to talk about the question of Berninger's voice. And of course, the joke is is that he has got about a five note range, right? Um, you know, I asked the other night, like, who does it remind you of? And I got all sorts of great answers. I think Steve Miller said he uh, was like a sort of a, a soft, drunk on wine kind of a Leonard Cohen or Tom Waits. He, he, he likened him to Tom Waits. I got Leonard Cohen, Nick Cave. I think Jarvis Cocker. I, I like that a lot. 
but what you need to know is that although he he, he kind of finds his voice you know, over these first few albums, I love his his delivery. People seem to object mm. to it. I I immediately related to it. It, it reminds as I said it did remind me of those guys like Cocker and Cohen who I've always loved, and it did immediately key me into the fact like this is music where the lyrics are going to matter. Because it's not shouted out like you know Iggy and the Stooges at the top of their <laughs> lungs, you know it, it, you are allowed to listen to every detail of the words, and that's why the words matter. But that brings us to this first album, which you know again I came to it all fresh, and to me I was just like, oh, this is like Wilco. This is sort of like halfway between being there and Summer Teeth. And guess what? I really love Wilco from being there and Summer Teeth. I don't think this is a great album, and I, I wouldn't did research and, and like. Yeah, I think Desner says like everybody agrees that our first two albums aren't that the best things we've ever done, and everything afterwards they argue about. And I started and I gave these first two albums a whole bunch of individual attention, not realizing that because I think they're fine records. They aren't as good as what the National would turn into, however. They they are much lighter and more sort of a general proposition. And of course, it's key to understand that Desner isn't a part of the band yet at this point. You're walking taller than you should. And I think the first review, I forget who wrote this, but for that first album, they were like, well, if you can't get the real thing, this will do in a in a pinch while you're waiting for all of these other bands. Um, They're not so bad, but. Whenever uh, I talk to anyone about the National, if if they pretend uh, that they were listening to them, you know, from the first album, um, the National or, or their second one, uh, "Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers," I'm just immediately skeptical because <laughs> even the National admits that not a lot of people were listening to them r- right up front. What are you for? What are you for now that I have hardcore? they were they were good but yeah they they still had day jobs um like uh, matt berniger he he's like a a mid-level ad executive in brooklyn and he tells these stories about going to play at the mercury lounge where other better bands were playing (laughs) and when they would when they would have a night um he would ask all of his uh co-workers to please come so that they wouldn't be playing to an empty audience and um yeah, I think to Jeff's point with, with this album, you know, if you if you're just casually listening to it, um, it sounds a lot like the rest 
of their discography. It, it, it's not necessarily super remarkable. But then when you sounds like a perfectly to, natural starting point. Yeah, for this group. yeah, mm-hmm. natural starting point. But then almost you like the place the, they've returned to in their most recent records. Yeah, yeah. and it, but if you listen to the lyrics, that's when it, it can knock the wind out of you. Mm-hmm. This uh, was released in 2001, and so this is right at a time when I should have been very receptive to a band like The National, uh, considering the, 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 the other bands I was listening to, the fact that I was hosting a radio show specifically playing music like this, and yet they, f- they slip off the radar screen or never hit the radar screen. I- I'll come back to that point in a second. Um, Jeff mentioned Wilco. Yes. Do you guys know the band Lucero? No. Um, man, they're good. And that it's a little more it's a little more them that I think Wilco on this first album, and I don't think they necessarily get back to this sound again as they evolve uh, toward the future, and especially I think a big leap toward album number two. You can hear them through uh, this debut trying to find ways to 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 be themselves, trying to find ways to add texture to some of these songs, trying to find ways to make them their own there are a lot of nice moments on here saw a beautiful head the first song of the album uh they wrote it very nicely it opens up into this very nice chorus section and even from the very beginning again berninger has these really neat lyrics don't tell me i've changed you're just raising your standards wonderful couplets uh throughout a lot of these songs on this debut album i like something like theory of crows which begins this examination of uh, of relationships. Um, kids of the wealthy are raised by the poor. I need mine to see me when I wake up. This idea of family structure and family relationships and class structure drives so much, so many of the future songs uh, in the Nationals catalog. And it starts here on, on the very first album. Kids of the wealthy are raised by the Pay for Me is probably the most, it's a, that's like the most Wilco-esque song. I can even hear like Ken Coomer playing that uh, that very strong backbeat uh, through that song. That in particular, I think, is a sound that they never quite get back to. I, I like it, but I understand why they sort of migrate away and begin evolving away from that particular sound. Bottle from a duty free, I'll drink it all across the sea. Lay me down in business class, headphones and a sleeping mask. She's gonna pay for me She's gonna pay for me Brother, I wish you were home Just tell me you're not alone Call me back, I'm on a plane I think I'm somewhere over Spain I'm in a dark without the stars I've never seen a black so dark Thought I'd 
like Cold Girl Fever, which is one of my favorite songs of the album. Mm. There's this burbling synthiness. Okay, that, that, the bleepy, bleepy synth. It was the first moment I noticed, yeah. okay, well, that's a little different. It's not just, you know, four guys in a room. They're, they're, they're trying a different texture that I thought worked well. And I think they're trying different things in a lot, a lot of these different songs. The reason, and I don't mean, I don't, this is not meant to be really harsh, but I think the reason why this album and the National didn't show up on my radar in 01, despite the fact that I was sort of primed for something like this, is because there were a lot of bands like this in a lot of places in 2001. And I'm not sure there's anything specifically on this album to sort of elevate them past everybody else. I don't know if there's something that would have, would have sort of put them in front of me and, and, and had me grab onto them. I think that's one reason why they didn't quite show up on my radar screen back in 2001. It's rewarding going back, but listening back, I do understand, I think, why they sort of were under my radar back then. I mean, again, if you were a guy who came to this band from Alligator or Boxer, this is the kind of album I would anticipate being the way that I thought of Genesis's Trespass. They're, they're from the first real album. It's like a really pleasant surprise. It's like, oh, well, wow, it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was at all. This is actually a very pleasant record. I don't really think there's a bad song on it. Mm-hmm. I think actually it's a problem. This is something that would kind of plague the band is that it's overstacked. It's overstacked on the front end. Uh, that it, it opens with like five, six great songs in a row. And then I think the second half is kind of weak other than Theory of the Crows, which is probably the best song on the record. <laughs> But Cold Girl Fever, as Scott mentioned, is nice. I love the perfect song. Um, oh, yeah. American Mary and Son. These are both great songs. And, uh, you know, again, if, if this is what they had always been, they wouldn't have amounted to much and we wouldn't be doing an episode on them. But I think it's actually on their next record that they, they take a, a real notable step forward. Now, I don't really notice people talking much about sad songs for dirty lovers. But as I mentioned at the front, this is where they first came to my attention. Um, I think, like again, this song is this album is top heavy. Okay, mm-hmm. um, it, 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 the best songs are on the front half of it, in my opinion. Uh, but a couple of really important things happen here. First of all, is that Aaron Dessner and Bryce Dessner join the band, so you have twins and twins. <laughs> the National is Matt Berninger plus two sets of twins, which is always just kind of like funny and weird. Uh, but Dessner is a guy who we're going to talk about later has gone on to be songwriter to the stars. Kind of like the guy from uh, Fountains of Wayne did. Or uh, um, the guy from uh, Semi-Sonic, Dan Wilson. Does or Dan Wilson, thing. right. Yeah. Okay, some of these guys do this great, you know, have this great side gig, Moonlighting. He's been working with Taylor Swift, among other people, recently. Uh, but this is when he joins the National, and I do think you you notice uh, a difference immediately. The first song in this album is actually the weakest one, Cardinal Song. It's I, long. I agree. I agree, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's long, and it's draggy, and it doesn't doesn't come together. Uh, but then all of a sudden, and this is the moment I have it in my notes, I hit the second song on Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers, and it's called Slipping Husband. And here's my notes. This, oh, is, the first, this, is, this is the first truly major song of their career, period. All right. And it's true. 
the arrangement, all that sad pop chiming and brisk light rock guitar. It's brilliant. And that lyric is a great tale of like marital emotional mm-hmm. strife. It's far more than just like a cheating guy story. I find it impossible, impossible not to believe that Arcade Fire wasn't listening to this song. And they weren't deeply influenced by the approach. That build in the middle after the That's Where She Finds You, that's their entire sonic aesthetic. There's even a female singer doubling his vocals. It's No Cars Go, basically the template for No Cars Go in another song by another band. And I think that was the moment where I was like, okay, now I get why people like the National. I didn't even realize they weren't truly going to hit their stride for a while. But this is the moment where I was like, okay, I get this band. Don't leave yourself alone. All too many days The sooner than you know You're gonna stop Start the bores, dear. We better get a drink in you before you start the bores, dear. We better get a drink in you before you start. And if you listen to the albums back to back. Um, you know, going back to the first one, I mean, the, the the first album, The National, obviously that's not where they hit their stride, but all of the the haunting, cutting lyrics there, for instance, on, on Beautiful Head, where he talks about um, his girlfriend, perhaps, you know, showing tenderness for me, tenderness for me to him. Like, then if you listen to that while listening to Slipping Husband, you think to yourself, oh my goodness, he got the girl that he wanted, that he was so afraid of losing. <laughs> and now all of a sudden he's got to grow up. Yeah. Um, he has to to grow up. And, and that line where he says, you know, you could have been a legend, but you became a father. It, it's like, get your shit together. You have responsibilities now. Um, nothing magically changed yeah. because you became a, a husband. Uh, but now you have additional responsibilities as a father and i I remember like the moment of it's like that seems to be just to be abrasingly real and honestly i I don't get this whole like oh it's sort of middle class bourgeois complaints it's like that's a real lesson for everyone and so i i had this moment of um like just relief when when i realized that he's happily married that everything's okay (laughs) that uh his lyrics don't entirely match his life um that that was a a, a relief because otherwise, I mean, if, if this was autobiographical completely, uh, this would be a tortured soul, and I think there'd only be a couple of albums because he'd be off somewhere um, doing something much more depressing. This album's a, a leap forward. I have written down the word "wow" three letters uh, on my notes for "sad songs for dirty lovers." I really love this album and it's a leap in terms of the the music uh augmented by the new members it's a leap in terms of the songwriting and the lyrics uh i echo both of you guys on slipping husband which is as you mentioned just this this tale of of potential uh, neglect of familial duties right who do you put first kids wife or, or or your dreams of what you might have been you know get get your crap together as phil said is 
is what it is. Or what or, or what else? I love this line. You'll end up talking to the ghost of your wife as if you knew her. Your eyes will put her everywhere. If you don't take care of things, if you if you don't make her feel special, y- you are going to be the one who are thinking, well, maybe she is walking out on me. Maybe she's found something else. Your eyes will put her everywhere except where she, you know, she could be, where she should be, next to you, right? Hey, by the way, I want to point out, Scott, that this is the secret of the national, and this is the thing that they learned here on this song, and that they would really pair magically going forward. Uh, and it's kind of like the same trick that the Smiths learned as well, which is the marriage of lyrics by one person to music by other people. Okay, because this is, of course, all Berninger's lyrics married to the music of Desner, I would imagine. And I, um, it's just in, like as Morrissey somehow managed to come up with these great tests texts that match with Mar uh, or I I don't understand how the lyrics and songwriting pair or even squeeze for that matter mm-hmm, I don't understand mm-hmm. how these 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 people work together but it, it's even weirder when the amuse for squeeze or, or Morrissey and Mar there's a songwriterly quality to it okay this though is so much more emotive and it has sort of a, a rugged post-punk you know rough hewn almost sort of song singer songwriterly kind of a, a quality to it that it feels like it should be completely the conception of one person and it's not what you're going to hear from the national going forward on this song first but then on everything else that their best is their best represents is a meeting of minds and that's kind of like you know, talk about what are your takeaways as somebody who's newly exposed to them i hear on a technical level on a musical level it's a meeting of minds and that, that, that rarely works that well people are rarely that in sync with one another to be able to match music to words and match words to music this well sorry to interrupt yeah it's fine uh as someone new to the band what i love on sad songs for dirty lovers and will be repeated in the future is uh, my goodness the, the care with which the lyrics are written and how they refer to each other and double back at each other and and repeat these motifs. I have these notes at the top of my uh, my list for this album about things that are repeated on this album. Uh, the, the feeling of nothingness. Nothing is in the air today. On uh, it, it never happened. Nothing made a sound in Williamstown that night, and all the air was empty. Then what to my wandering eyes should appear? Nothing, because nothing ever happens here. Uh, and that's uh, and the thing about it never happened too is that th- that to me represents them kind of still exploring what it is they're doing yeah. because it's like a two part song, so there's yes. that little sad kind of very pretty but I would almost say nondescript ballad at the front that you discussed and then halfway through what the heck happens that thing turns into a psychedelic jam freakout and yep, yep. it's this beautiful just sort of haunting almost sort of mystifying groove does it represent the dream of, of the thing that never happened like you know a beautiful future that was always a myth in your mind i don't know maybe it was just like a nice bit that they thought sounded good <laughs> in the studio and they just wanted to find an excuse to put it on a song but yeah that is just a, a little cameo moment on this record that i really you know jumps out to me This is the album where they 
get serious and are actually quitting their jobs to do this full time. They had moderate success with their day jobs, but at this point, um, I think either shortly before the, this release or, or afterwards, that's when uh, they go full time. And so, you know, as you leave Ohio and you you go to Brooklyn, you have all of these expectations that things are going to be a different. You have all of these hopes, and to see them dashed at a point where you know they know that they are good but they have not gotten the success that other bands um that are coming up around them have uh i, I think that yeah i mean for for them this is maybe personal they, they had high hopes they had high expectations and they they didn't pan out um at a moment you know that they're singing at that at a moment when they're, they're taking this huge risk i mean they're, they're leaving their careers to embark on something else I mean, listen, you know, worst case, it didn't pan out. You know, at least they didn't have to go back home to Cleveland, you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm thinking about like other song, other tracks on this album that really stood out to me. I think 90 Mile Water Wall. That's the first great melody. Like oh, Slipping Husband's the first great complete song, but 90 Mile Water Wall's got such a wonderful melody. It's not just a wonderful melody, though, Scott. I think what I love about that is the use of that violin, that fiddle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that fiddle is so cute. It 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 just it it is you know a hybrid of folk, country, art rock, and it's got a really good lo- love lorn lyric. Yeah, and every country blue tone on that violin just you know comes from around a corner and hits you right on the bullseye with the way he he hits the notes. Uh, and you know the way it sort of rises up, sort of quietly in the background during the chorus, and then during the solo, that the, they raise the level just a little bit, and then it really just rings out. Just waiting for another mile water wall to take me out of your view. I'm praying for a trapdoor trigger. song and i think i also the other one i have to mention is murder me rachel which is Mm post-punk perfection i mean this suddenly is like a different mode i mean i mean the band already is covering a lot of ground between 90 mile waterwall and uh, murder me rachel those are two different groups that's like wilco and echo and the bunnyman but man murder me rachel uh, this is rock this is early spoon maybe think it's series of sneaks spoon 30 gallon tank but better. I mean, it's a massive track, and I, I also like it when he raises his voice, which he rarely ever does. That is one of the best tracks on the album. This the tale of, of obsessive love, matched with this minimalist rhythm pattern, which is, as Jeff kind of pointed out, series of sneaks, kind of spoon esque. But this set of lyrics here. This is the first one I, I think I listened to three times, you know, in a row to to hear the nuance in the music. And the wonderful lyrics that I can right. read a couple different ways, right? I, I loved her to ribbons. Does that mean he killed her, right? You, you love something to ribbons, tear it to shreds, tear it to ribbons. 
Is he going to kill the pretty boy? Uh, what what exactly is happening? Oh, it's all emotional metaphor, frankly. Yeah. I mean, that's what it really is. I mean, it's not about actually murdering people. Sure. It's about, it's about emotionally shredding them. So when you love someone to ribbons, it means you're just like running them through with all of your, you know, insecurities and just, you know, tearing them apart. Let me love me to the love it a I think it's the last song of the album. Lucky You is the other one I wanted to to mention. This is the way these songs fit together on Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers is, is really special. As I mentioned, there's these themes and motifs. There's getting inside your head or getting inside someone else's head. A couple times about cleaning yourself because you're a dirty lover. By the time you get to Lucky You, you have, again, this wonderful melody matched to uh, a set of lyrics where... You're, you're offering someone something they don't want, which is yourself. You can say, you own me, there's nothing you can do, you own me. But at the end of the song, you have this picture painted where the, the, the woman is putting out a shirt, a shirt I'll never see for a man who isn't me. And then he says, um, uh, no one's in your head. You're too smart to remember. You're too smart. Lucky you, right? You've already forgotten. You, you've been able to put all of this this relationship behind you in the past. You're lucky. I'm the guy here who has given myself to you. You own me, and you don't even care about it. It's just a wonderful song. I mean, it really, really, really is. And, and that's why I know that people uh, say that, like, well, The National really doesn't even take off until their next record. But I was surprised no, to no. find this one to be, like, a really good one. This... Phil, do you have anything else to say before we move on? I I think that, yeah, I mean, they're going to continue what they do here. Uh, my favorite part of this album is absolutely the violin. And my favorite part of the next album is the pairing of the violin with all of the piano yeah, I mean, and, and on that next that next album, actually, it was a bit anticlimactic. It was the last album of the Nationals' career. They didn't really make any sort of steps forward or advances, and so I guess this is going to be a pretty... No, it was Alligator, an, al- an album which not only launched them into mainstream success, made their name, made their indie name and their commercial name, 
Uh, but I'm just laughing at how I was purely coincidence that I completely missed this record. It came out. I had to look up the dates. I was like, how did I not know of this thing? But listening, believe me, folks, once we're done discussing it, you'll wonder why you didn't know about it if you didn't. It came out in April 2005. So what's happening there? I'm getting into law school. I'm getting my stuff together. I'm trying to like, get as much money together as I can to go out to Chicago. I got nothing on my mind except my future career in my life. I'm totally tuned out from the music scene. If it had happened two months earlier, I might have been right now, today, the biggest national fan on the planet. Because from the first seconds of this record, you can clearly tell something has changed. The fluttering, rhythmic, vibrating opening to Secret Meeting uh, where Matt Berninger matches that that wistful, wistful, almost butterfly-like sound to the greatest little lyric I've ever heard, where he says, "Like I'm sorry, I missed you. I had a secret meeting in the basement of my mind." Boom, and it goes in this beautiful, wonderful, sunny chorus about about sadness, about hiding away from people and keeping secrets from them at the at the same time. But uh. This this here is the the introduction that I think most people had to this band, and boy, you really can't argue with it. It's a fantastic record, and it begins on one of its best notes. meeting in the basement of my second song on that album and the line that that jumps out to me every time i listen is <laughs> well there are a couple lines in that one yeah there's a couple lines i mean like you, the sad thing about this is that you can say that about every every song so I, I, you know it's really just so rich and soul crushing when he seems to be having this conversation with his wife and he turns to her and he says, we should call your father um, about his mental anguish where he, where he is saying, you know, maybe it's just a phase. He'll know the trick to get a wayward soul to change his ways. And in that song where he's talking about, I've lost direction and I'm past my peak. I'm telling you, this isn't me. No, this isn't me. Um, it's almost as if he's pleading with her that he can get better. He, he will um, be what he promised her. Uh, earlier on in their relationship, but does he even believe it? Does he even think that um, the, the good side that she hasn't seen of him yet can come to fruition later? And I mean, go back to a, a, another track, right? You know, um, to, to Slipping Husband. It's the same problem. Karen, we should call your father. Maybe it's just a fate. So know the trick to get away with soul. Ways. 
I always think about like, well, what, what, what must the Desners have thought when they handed this happy, clompy kind of David Bowie-like piano-based <laughs> ballad to him? And he came back with a song with the lyrics about standing up on the table, wiping his dick around, <laughs> you know, something like that. Um, it's it's a very and of course, again, this is the only sad things that coming in 2022. Karen has now been freighted with all sorts of unfortunate associations. It certainly did not have back in 2005. <laughs> but yeah, it's a fantastic. Also, it's a contrast because you know this is this is the opposite of a secret meeting. This is this is this nice kind of a, a steady with a little help from my friends style kind of a ballad. Scott, Karen's one of the best songs on on Alligator, and I, I think I think with almost every album. Again, so many I, on this record. I mean, but I have to return to the song. The, the lyrics, uh, I mean, with every album, the lyrics get more interesting, deeper, more folded in on themselves, if that, if that makes sense. Um, and there are so many great moments on uh, on this record. Karen's one of the good ones. Uh, All the Wine, they, they put out an EP before Alligator called uh, uh, Wasp Nest. And mm-hmm. there's a couple good songs in there. Cherry Tree's good Cherry song. Tree. Cherry Tree is the name of the EP, but Wasp Nest is the first song. Oh, but, okay, that's my notes are messed up. Uh, Cherry Tree is also a, a, a song, good song. And then All the Wine, they end up pulling forward and using it an alligator. I think that's the best song from the EP, and it's still one of the best songs on this album. And this is, you know, that, that perspective is sort of flipped from that, that sad sack sort of lament that we're so used to. All the Wine... Is is getting drunk, drinking all the wine is all for me. And what do you hear from the, our, our narrator here in, in this song? I'm put together beautifully. I'm a perfect piece of ass. Uh, I, I take over the street. The motorcade's got to go around me. Like all this false confidence and false bravado, you know, the alcohol-fueled uh, narcissism. It's this neat little sort of, sort of step back from what's happening in a lot of other places uh, on the album. Uh, and so that's one of my favorite uh, parts. I'm a birthday candle in a circle of black girls. God is on my side. Cause I'm the child bride. fine um there are there are places here i think it's less so as we move forward but here a little bit on boxer where in the you know the the vocals are lost in the mix in places he's so low to begin with in his delivery occasionally a little slurry baby one will be fine is one of those times where uh the the verses are largely lost right unless you've got the only non-memorable songs on the record in my notes but what's memorable about it is what is repeated, and they'll do this occasionally, where you have that one line pulled out and repeated over and over and over again, and Baby Will Be Fine, it's I'm so sorry for everything. So you sort of have these verses that are kind of slurred and, and, and mixed down into the, into the music, and what comes through loud and clear and repeated over and over again, and perhaps the only statement of importance 
is I'm so sorry for everything. That's what comes through on a song like Baby Will Be Fine. Before actually you get to that, I want to talk about how my mind's not right, okay? Oh, yeah. Because, listen, that's the thing. You know, uh, you know, Berninger sings always in this sort of low, kind of even tone, kind of sort of speak singing his music. Uh, and then every now and then he just sometimes starts shrieking, and it's a shock. So when he mm-hmm. sings, my mind's not right, my mind's not right. You know, and Abel is a song that I don't actually know the meaning of the, the lyrics do not make it quite clear it seems like he's like talking somebody down off the ledge you well know? isn't that so interesting that it comes after all the wine where he does right. have that bravado and that self-confidence and then all of a sudden maybe he finished one or two bottles and he's realizing <laughs> oh my what have i said maybe, well what have i said what have i done um maybe all that self-confidence wasn't merited right exactly you know, you turned me good and God fearing. What am I supposed to do, do with, with that? that? I'm yeah. I'm missing something. <laughs> My mind's gone loose inside the shell. It sounds like he's talking himself down off of an emotional ledge. And again, matched to this music of pure frantic fury. I mean, this is again, this is just, I can't believe I have never heard this band before. Hey, well, come on. You know, I'm trying to think, is there anything else I want to mention? I really love Looking for Astronauts and Lit Up. I mean, these are beautiful songs as well. Friend of Mine, oh, is, I think that actually might secretly be the, the most underrated song on the record. The Geese of Beverly Road is, I, I, I looked up again, researching for the first time. They, they went and played it at, I think, their, their producer's wedding uh, after this. And I can see why. It's such a beautiful, lovely, you know, sadly romantic song. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, listen, you know, Phil, I, I'll let you talk about this if you promise that you won't fuck us over. <laughs> um, so you guys are talking about how you didn't 
find these bands in the moment because you were, you know, going to law school, you you were a DJ, how, how you know, you certainly should have, you were in a position to find them. Um, I was like 11. <laughs> so so um, I've definitely yeah, come 10 to years out here, there, so, right. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, the national has staying power mm-hmm. because they are talking about universal things and universal problems. And the reason why Mr. November stands out to me is because once again, he is this ball of insecurity that, um, no, you don't want to show this to the world, but, you know, Matt Berniger, I mean, he clearly uh, is voicing this almost for you. And after all of this, um, you know, where he is not confident in his relationship, but then he's suddenly confident in himself. But then he, when he has to talk himself off of the ledge, you know, we leave the album with Mr. November and you almost don't believe him as he's, as he's uh, singing that he's not going to ruin things that he's, you know, going to be the new blood that he's going to be the great white hope. Um, And, I, I, it, what stands out to me on that song is he's talking about how in a previous life, you know, he was carried on the arms of cheerleaders, but now there's this future and he's worried about it. But it's almost this sort of self-actualization thing where he is raising his voice, which he seldom does elsewhere, to almost say, no, like, this will be better. I will make it better um, even yes. out of... Uh, pure will even if i don't believe that myself like it, it, like i will talk myself into <laughs> it i i will make it happen simply by by saying it loudly enough i will will it into existence i'm so glad that you see this song the same way that i do phil even though i just discovered it like two weeks ago <laughs> because yes it's that's moving that is so moving the insecurity that you talk about there is like yeah no, I, I, you know, I, I'm probably not good enough. All the blue bloods are out there. The English are waiting for me out there, like the hoity-toities, and, and like I mean, I don't know, but like I'm the new blue blood. But I promise you, I, you know, I won't f us over. I'm Mister November, and I think he was using that in the context actually of the John Kerry election, who didn't quite make it over the finish line, unfortunately for him. But <laughs> you know, I still appreciate the sentiment saying like, you know, I'm gonna. It's like Mister October. I think of Reggie, Reggie Jackson, or you know, I gave Derek Jeter. Actually, I think they started calling. Him, Mr. November. So maybe that's who he was referring to. Um, but the idea of just like saying, like, yeah, like maybe I, I'm going to make it happen. It's almost like its own sort of the, the modern <laughs> people are going to find this analogy so strange. It's like the modern era's version of heroes. We could be heroes just for one day. We could will ourselves into something good, even if we don't think we're capable of it. Well, and if you if you look at Mr. November later on, it is the Obama campaign yeah. that is selling T-shirts saying Mr. It's pretty November. smart. I mean, I gotta say, what I found out that they, they they was like, well, that's a good brand synergy right there. That's <laughs> and, the kind of song you want. And it's almost like the coalition of the ascendant, right? Like right. they are saying we are the ones who are going to determine the direction we go in. We're uncertain a little bit, but we've got this. We're gonna figure it out. I wish that I Wish I didn't sleep so late I used to be carried in the arms of cheerleaders I used to be carried in the arms of cheerleaders I used to be carried in the arms of cheerleaders 
Optimism man. is hugely powerful, man. I mean, that was and, Arcade Fire had some of that on Funeral too, mm-hmm. and, and especially No Cars Go stuff like that. It's the same thing. It, it's but, but, instead it, of it this all, gloom, it was like a forward-looking thing. And it's almost like you earn that optimism by the time you're finished listening to this album because you've been through all of this other mental anguish and just this melancholy. So when there's optimism, like you want to root for him, you're like, yeah, no absolutely you will make this work so somehow they managed to uh follow up alligator with an album that a lot of people think is even better than alligator yes this is the follow-up uh two years later i believe 2007 and again again if i hadn't just been so deep into law school at this time you know all i'm i'm thinking about is misoteric you know and you know my classes and such uh, I would have known a lot more about Boxer than I did. I knew it by a name. It was an album by this band, The National. People were saying nice things about it. Gosh, I feel kind of stupid now because I missed another fantastic record. People, I think, you know, argue constantly, apparently, about whether this or Alligator is the better of those two early breakout ones. I don't know myself. Again, it's early days for me, so my my opinion isn't worth listening to. But these seem to almost be, to me, two sides of the same coin. They almost start changing notably after these two records. Mm. But these two kind of go hand in hand and in the best possible way. What do you guys think? And it grabs you from Fake Empire right at the start. Right. I mean, it's so good. And I think listeners will realize that you know my musical education is is very slim. I can barely whistle. Um, my girlfriend won't let me sing in church because it distracts from worship. But um, you know, I, I realize like a good song when I hear it. And Fake Empire is just so fantastic. And I, I, again, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, not to bring politics into this, but the Obama campaign—they take Fake Empire, but what yeah. do they immediately do as they they put this to? A this music has to video? be discussed. This is sm- yeah. They Go cut out it. the lyrics. They cut because out the you lyrics. Can't, you can't put the lyrics in there. So. <laughs> and, and yet, the the narrative, even with the lyrics, is kind of even better. Just maybe without the optimism. Correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because the question is, all right, so. Um, you know, I stayed out super late tonight picking apples, making pies. Is this a commentary on, um, you know, domestic bliss in in America, or you know, we're 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 tiptoeing through a, a fake empire? I mean, is is Matt Berniger is, is he talking about you know the the Bush doctrine and making the world safe for democracy and how that's not going to work, or um, you know, is he? critiquing neoliberalism where you says you can't have it at all like you can't have your apple pie or or maybe like obviously they're so vague that you can't apply a, a ton of meaning to them and maybe you shouldn't get your meaning from a um former uh you know advertisement and salesman but um i love this song and even if my appreciation is not fully refined um if you listen to this, you will love it for the same reasons. Tiptoe through our shiny city With our diamond slippers on Do our gay ballet nights Bluebirds on our shoulders We're half awake in a fake empire We're half awake in a fake empire
It's a great album, of course, and I, I, I think two things about it stick out for me. One is that this is a drummer's album. Uh, uh, Brian Devendorf, who's the uh, drummer, he, he, he's great on a number of things. This is sort of the first time that I hear him bursting out a bit, and he's just he's just shoving and pushing songs around with his rhythm and with his drum kit. Um, you know, I don't want to compare them technically. I don't mean to, but... You know, the way Bunny Carlos on Cheap Trick, uh, Cheap Trick songs, you know, Bun drove a lot of those songs. He was the, he was really the motor, the engine that, that pushed those things around. I hear that a lot on Boxer on these songs. Brian Devendorf is just really, uh, the, the engine more so than, than ever, uh, on, on making these songs go and, and, and crafting them into these things. And on the subject of the songs, I hear Boxer as a, a real song-based album, meaning I think they really took time and really focused on creating the best three and a half minutes possible for all these songs. If you look down the uh, the track listing for Boxer, I think e- almost everything runs between like 310 and 350. There's, there's, not, there's nothing extended. There's nothing too short. I think they really were trying to craft <clears throat> these these outstanding songs to make them the very best they could be. And they succeeded on a lot of levels. Uh, uh, Phil already mentioned Fake Empire. You know, Mistaken for Strangers is is right after that. It's just as good. And from those first two songs, again, that's where Devendorf's power and finesse behind the drum kit are so obvious. And you get into what I think might be my favorite song, Squalor Victoria, on this mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. The drums there just give it give it its, its heartbeat. It lives because of what Devendorf does on, on Squalor Victoria. And there's a thing they do, it's on that song, it's on a bunch of their songs around this time, where there's a, there's a piano there, but, but at times you can barely hear it. The piano is there to sort of provide a mood and like a motif where the, those, those chords just sort of echo and ring. You don't even necessarily hear them played, but you hear the, the aftermath of the chords. It's a really neat effect on uh, Squalor Victoria. And... Lyrically, again, mentioned you know the the, the, the the sort of class differences. It starts by saying a uh, professional in my beloved white shirt, and at the very end of Squalor Victoria, what does he say? He says this isn't working. You, my middle brow fuck up. Totally <laughs> offbeat too. Like he's not. He's not. It, it's like an almost like an aside, like a like a throwaway line at the end. Like it's just so. Things are working out so poorly. I don't even have to finish the song the right way. I'm just going to throw out this line. I just love the way that song ends.
in the middle here, you have a few songs where you have this kind of love, love is war metaphor when you get through like slow show. Oh yeah, uh, and and start a war literally. Uh, if you if uh, if you walk away now, you're gonna start a you're gonna start a war. I love the line, man. I just picture this uh, and start a war. You were always weird, but I never had to hold you by the edges like I do now. Like you get to that point with a person, like you put up with their 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 strangeness, their oddities for so long, and then at some point it's like, oh. Th- I don't even know how to deal with you anymore. I don't know how to be in the same room with you anymore. That frustration expressed in that lyric is so perfect. It's so perfect. And the and the music on Star of War is this low-key, like it's like a low-key warning. The music pretends something is going to happen. It's just a marvelously put-together song. Walk away now And you're gonna start a war threat that never quite comes true yeah well but the the other thing is you wonder is it a threat when he says walk away now and you're going to start a war or is it just this tired resignation where he seems to be saying walk away now and we're going to start a war we're gonna have conflict all over again is it a proclamation is it a, a a warning or a threat i think it works on multiple levels and just like so many of of his lyrics um do throughout all of this um so yeah i mean I, I don't know how you can't be haunted by that song i mean the lyrics on this album are really really remarkable and, and i guess i think the other thing that has to be mentioned is that this is to my understanding the first album where another lyricist enters the picture and boy you know like we i think of the idea of like uh, rock critics or, or journalists getting involved with musicians, and we think, well, that's never good for the art, is it? But I have to say, Karen Besser, who was a, she was a writer for the New Yorker. I do not know what she like used to write there. Um, I don't know how they met. Again, this is all just a mystery box to me. All I can tell you is that uh, when she entered the picture, helping Matt Berninger, working with him on his lyrics, uh, they did not. Uh, diminish in any perceptible way and in fact honestly improved and she's responsible for several of the greatest songs on this album she's at least credited with with them i mean i think one of the ones that i like the most is brainy which which musically oh oh, musically it's got you know that great little like that little guitar hook like a doing doing and you're like where is that and then the drums come in twice (laughs) as fast as you expect them to right 
Uh, and, and so the music gets sort of like redefined underneath your feet as you're listening to it. It's a great musical track, but then the lyric is, is clearly about like his his frustration. I don't know. Maybe it's about his frustration with her. She's this very smart New Yorker critic, smart kind of woman, and and he's just this sort of dumb rock guy, you know. And, and he has to kind of impress her. So like he has this line where he's just like, you know, like you keep changing your fancy fancy time every time I time mind every time i decided to let go i was up all night again boning up and reading the american dictionary you'll never believe what i found i think i better follow you around and he says you might need me more than you think you will come home in the car you love brainy 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 the car you love i was just like boy you know you know you, you can you can cut me down every moment you want but at the end of the day isn't this a nice vehicle to ride around in that's my <laughs> takeaway from it maybe it means something else but i love that song I've been dragging in the song slow show it's so clear that he's head over heels for her and he's yeah. absolutely in love um i think this is funny because the opening line here is standing at the punch table swallowing punch i just matt berner seems to be standing on coffee tables and um punch tables and everything else and constantly underwater throughout all of his songs but i imagine there's well, a lot of alcohol involved in his life it just seems to be a lot of like behavior that you would not do unless you were sober we go back to his voice, and it's the um, wine-drenched melancholy. Yeah. But I, 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 there's clearly like the inferiority from Brainy, where he's up all night reading the dictionary. But right. then he thinks, like, what is it that I can do? I, I can hurry home and put on a slow, dumb show for you and crack you up, not by being, um, you know, incredibly erudite, but by being uh, perhaps the the man who you first fell in love with. And um, what I love about this song, though, is he admits throughout that even as he's like full of anticipation, he's he's hurrying home. He wants to see her. He he wants her to be happy with him, and and he has her. He can't get over um, his this conflict where he doesn't know if he's enough, and, and so. Um, the the line that that stands out um, for me is where he he says, um, you know, can I get a moment of not being nervous? And that just is is everything. Because how can you not identify with that? How can you not identify with maybe saying <laughs> the the wrong thing? Um, certainly, alcohol might not be his best friend here. Where he talks about how. Uh, you could drive a car through my head in five minutes. My leg is sparkle, my leg is pins. I better get my shit together, better gather my shit in. You 
he loves the girl and he's afraid of losing her i just want to picky on a piggyback on something phil said because if i don't think i've mentioned it yet but i know i've got notes coming up that the, the water motif um it, it will return it's here it will return on future songs being underwater covered in water uh there's a line about uh don't have the warm water in my head there's swampiness like this water motif will return over and over again in a lot of these songs and future albums too and the thing about a lot of these songs is the National is not afraid to be self-referential, but not in yes. a really annoying way. So, for instance, on um, Slow Show, where he, he sings in the end, um, you know I dreamed about you for 29 years before I saw you. You know I dreamed about you. I missed you for 29 years. That's a callback to right. um, what some of the critics told them was their best song on their first album, um, 29 Years. And the criticism back then was that it was too short. Um, it sounded like a grainy LP. It should have been fleshed out more. And, you know, by Boxer, at the time that they are hitting their stride, he's filling it out. And um, I, I, I think that that's just, again, it's, it's very haunting that he seems to be singing to his paramour. Um, I had hoped for you for, for so long, and I had wanted you for so long. Well, I, uh, if we move on, the, the, there, there are stories about this on the, uh, on the Internet uh, about how difficult Boxer was to make for the band. And so by 2010 and this next album, they, they tried to figure out a, a way to make things a little more peaceful in the studio. And whether or not that would result in a better album, I guess, is for us to find out. But it was a little bit uh, easier to put together this next album called High Violet, followed up in, in 20, uh, 2010, so three years after Boxer, which, as Jeff alluded to, Again, neither of us knew the band, but both of us knew Boxer. Both of us knew the National had, a, had an album called the Bo had, had an album called Boxer, and so they had sort of broken through on a level that put them in front of a lot of fans, allowed them to play bigger, bigger shows, bigger venues. So, where do you go next? What do you do next? Do you build on what you did in 2007 on Boxer? Do you try something a little bit different? Where do you go? And that answer comes on High Violet, which to me sounds like taking a lot of what worked on, on, on Boxer and making it a little bit bigger. Um, I had, I've, I've seen a few things where uh, Berenger says, uh, or uh, 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 Berenger says, this is a fun album. I don't hear a lot, yeah, of, fun a lot of fun on High Violet. <laughs> this is a lot of darkness. Um, and I know, I know that he moved back out to L.A. at some point, and I don't remember when. But this also sounds like a, a, a place album to me, too. Saying goodbye to some place, moving somewhere else. There's a lot of references on other songs, too, about but New York. Living and dying in New York, stuck on New York streets. 
uh, the single Ohio. here. Jeez, right, Buzz, Buzz, Buzz Ohio. Ohio. Right, there, there's a lot of place uh. things happening throughout this uh, this album too. I was carried to Ohio in a swarm of bees. I never married, but Ohio don't remember me. I still owe money to the money. I mean, if the criticism of the national is that they're a bunch of yuppie elites, I don't know how they can wriggle out of that with Blood Buzz Ohio, where he sings about owing money to the money I still owe. Um, if that's not a <laughs> metaphor for student loans right. and having a useless liberal arts degree, I don't know what is. I mean, that song is is also, by the way, to, to, to get back to what, what initially grabbed me about the band. To me, again, it was a musical approach. I, I start with the music, and then only then do I listen to the lyrics to see if the lyrics are interesting as well. Blood um, Puzzle, Ohio. This, this entire album, by the way, I think represents a significant step forward. You guys said earlier you didn't think the National evolved that much. I think they've changed quite a bit at this point. Think about their first album, first two albums even. Now they're moving into something that's much more sort of, I, I, I would say, it, it, there's a, elements of distinct post-punk to them and also sort of the neo-post-punk of the 21st century. But also they, they do still incorporate like strings and horns and charts and things like that. They have a sound that isn't quite like anybody else's. It's not like the Arcade Fire, big, massive, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know, feels ensemble. It's a very unique sound, and it kind of first starts developing here. Put an ocean and a river to everybody else, to everything yourself and home. Put an ocean and a river to everything yourself and home. You must be somewhere in London. You must be loving your life and the rain. Must be somewhere in London Walking every day I don't even think to me I don't even think to me I don't even think to me Direction Famous After they kind of pass through boxer and into this album and, and you get songs that i i think uh, i kind of wonder why i never heard something like conversation 16 until mm -hmm. just now i love that song the the, the sort of the these the angry post-punk attack of songs like conversation 16 or blood buzz ohio is something that i could have seen coming from echo and the bunnymen in, in 1989 in an alternate universe but i don't think it would have ever sounded quite like this i 
think the kids are in trouble Do not know what all the troubles are for Give them ice for their fever You're the only thing I ever want anymore Live on coffee and flowers Try not to wonder what the weather will be I figured out what we're missing Tell you miserable things after you are asleep Now we'll leave the silver cities All the silver girls gave us black dreams Leave the silver cities All the silver girls Everything means everything it's a Hollywood summer. This is music that, again, I'm, this is why I think to myself, I want to come back to this show mm-hmm. a year from now. What else will I have to say about it? Because so many, so many wonderful, like, you know, references and notes come in here for me. There's, Scott? A, I mentioned there's a lot of, I think, place things. There's a lot of discussion here about being lost or, or aimless or without inspiration. And yeah, that's kind of a, a theme through some of the past work, but I think it, it really comes to the to the surface here. There's um, there's a thing that they do. I don't know if I'm the only one to notice it because I don't. I just don't know. But I start. I, I note here, and I think there's one on the next album too, where songs that are that are placed back to back are almost continuations. It's like they're, they're sequels in terms yeah. of theme, mood, uh, like sorrow and anyone's ghost here. Mm-hmm. Very similar in terms of the mood that is being set lyrically. What's being laid out uh sorrow I, I live in a city that's sorrow built uh don't leave me uh don't leave me uh don't leave my hyper heart alone on the water i don't want to get over you sorrow begins with this really neat hi-hat uh and, and you kind of think it's lively and it's going somewhere but it doesn't it sits and it sort of serves the lyrics or vice versa really well it just sort of treads Water. I don't mean that as a complaint. I mean, it just, it really serves the lyrics and the music serve each other very well. Sorrow found me when I was young. Sorrow waited, sorrow won. Sorrow they put me on the pill. in my honey, it's in my bed Don't leave my hyper heart alone On the water Cover me in rag and bone Sympathy Cause I don't wanna get over you I don't want to get over you. On anyone's ghost, um, uh, you said I you said I came close as anyone's come to live underwater for more than a month. There's this again repeated sense that being underwater and you know underwater you don't have your 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 senses are dulled right you can't hear anything and it's hard to move and you can't touch it and and I think that comes back over and over. Uncertain about where to go, uncertain about what to do. Where's your inspiration coming from? What are you going to do next? Those are questions that are going to, that are being asked throughout High Violet. And you get to a song like Afraid of Ev- uh, Everyone, which is a song that he wrote lyrically about being a, a, a new dad and figuring out all of that. Um, 
there's some deep things here. And as we mentioned early on in the in the show, these are songs about you know relationships and dealing with people and how do you deal with the fact that there's a new kid in the household and how do you how do you make that work? Um, uh, Lemon World, I think, is my favorite song uh, on this album. Um, and 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 you have. Again, I think there's a real sense of being lost, being aimless uh, on a song like that. Um, there's so many really neat things happening on High Violet. And yeah, I, I, I think there is a, you know, if, if there's a big leap between the first and second album, I think there's a significant movement between Boxer and High Violet when it comes to how these songs are being prepared and produced and getting to their final sort of fighting shape. Uh, it's a It's a different sort of, perspective on what they're doing. You and your sister live in a lemon world. I want to sit in and die. You and your sister live in a lemon world. You and your sister live in a lemon world. I want to sit in and die. You and your sister live in a lemon world. This pricey stuff makes me dizzy I guess I've always been a delicate man It takes me a day to remember a day I didn't mean to let it get so far out of hand I was a comfortable kid But I don't think about it much anymore Lay me on the table, put flowers in my mouth, and we can say that we invented a summer love and torture. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, speaking of which, you know, mixes start to matter a bit more here. I'm going to give a shout out to Damon Linker, a friend of the show. He joined us for our Bowie episodes, and he's also an enormous national fan. And he pointed out his like, terrible love, and I thought this too when I first heard it. It's like something's wrong with the mix on this song. It starts off and it sounds like it's muffled. It didn't quite sound right. And it's just like, go listen to the remix of that sound. You can find it on the bonus CD. They did a, they did a reissue of this thing, which is the one that I hunted down. Um, uh, it's a much better song in its remixed form. It's already a good one initially in its first version, the one that's on the album. But hear it in a remix and it's uh, it, 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 the guts of it come out more, which is something that's... A, you know, possible because of the way the songs are now being, you know, pieced together, you know, sort of bit by bit, I guess, sort of as the band evolves, they're, you know, growing apart, I guess, geographically and organically. And so they're, they're finding new ways to put the music together. And that's, that's another reason why it's evolving the way it is. By the way, did you guys, are you guys familiar with this non-album single they did in between this one and the next one, something called Exile Vilify? I don't think I got that one. I, I actually found it. I mean, me, I'm doing my research. There was, they did a couple of like very you know slow piano based ballads. It's just like I, again, this is where I have so much difficulty believing that only you know, that that only the lyrics are the responsibility you know of one party, and then the music is entirely the responsibility of another party. Because this is the sort of thing that you sit down at a piano and write as you're working the chords out to yourself, isn't it? But it's a really beautiful little little like, you know, ballad, a, a little kind of strange um, yearning pop ballad, a pop, I guess. National isn't something you'd find on the charts, but it, it does have those <laughs> virtues. Anyways, I recommend it if you haven't heard it.
to their next album which is from 2013 at this point they're doing that once per presidential administration pace you know they've slowed down they don't have to rush anymore they can take their time so they took their time uh but while they were waiting trouble found them mm-hmm. uh and that is trouble will find me and i was fascinated to hear this album and hear how again they keep getting just a little bit weirder a little more dissociated it's like watching talk talk disintegrate in slow motion (laughs) Uh, i can see where they're going man i I really can i can and it just keeps happening so what do you guys think of this one for uh i think this is the the moment where i can say that you know when i listen to trouble will find me it felt like all right this is my band i was in the middle of college and it was a continuation of everything that had come before, uh, but it, it was also better. I know that everyone loves Boxer, and as they should, uh, but for, for me, this is my my absolute favorite album from start to finish. Can't you write it on a wall? You should know me better than There's no room to write it all. You should know me better than that. Can you turn TV down, you should know me better than There's too much crying in the sound, I should know you better than that. I should leave it alone, but you're not right. I should leave it alone, but you're not right. I should live in salt. I just think it's it, it's it's an, a magnificent, nasty, weird lyric and a beautiful piece of music and it kind of, to my mind, uh, uh, it, it epitomizes the album, which I guess is why they, they put it right up there at track number one and that they understood their business in terms of sequencing this thing. But again, I'm so new to all of this material. Scott? Second, uh, <clears throat> the second wow moment of uh, listening through the discography i think trouble will find me is their i think it's their best record um mm-hmm. and I, I, I you know i talk about how much care is being put in these lyrics trouble will find me are these 
repeated stories of returning to people in situations that are unhealthy and not good for you, but being unable to stop yourself, right? That is coming up again and again and again throughout these songs. Demons, I think, and I was trying to figure this out, for someone like Jeff or or I, or someone like Jeff or me, who had not heard The National before, where do you begin? What's an entry point? Where do you begin to figure out what they're doing? You could do a lot worse than handing someone demons or sending a link mm-hmm. to demons. That is a really like definitional national track. There's a there's a swing. This album is a bit warmer. It's a bit more welcoming than the others. Like I should live in salt. Jeff talked about what does it start with? It starts with an acoustic and a, like a tambourine. That's not a yeah. combination that you hear in a lot of national music. Demons also, there's a swing. They're trying something new at this like yeah. sixth album, and I just <laughs> I appreciate that. Too. Demons is has this swing to it that really invites you in to enjoy. Uh, again, you reference back to being uh, underwater. Uh, do my crying underwater. I can't get down any farther. I stay down with my demons. Something that we haven't mentioned yet. I could have a, a few opportunities. This is one of my, this is the, the, the one I sent to Jeff, though. Some of these lyrics are just low-key hilarious, right? In <laughs> Demons, when he says, uh, when I walk into a room, I do not light it up. <laughs> and the, first, the rhyme is perfect with what he rhymes <laughs> with. Um, but the delivery is just magical. And it's hilarious. It's okay. You can find, you know, the dark humor, right? You can find humor. You can be funny in these situations that aren't necessarily funny whatsoever. Returning to bad situations, all right? Well, you can find you can find some humor in that. There are a lot of his lines that are just low-key hilarious. Demons is one of the really perfect uh, songs from The National. Do not think I'm going places anymore. much stuff i like here i like don't swallow the cap uh i only have two emotions careful fear and dead devotion yeah later on in that (laughs) song he then says if you want to see me cry play let it be or never mind and so then i'm trying to equate well i guess never mind is the is the careful fear and let it be i guess is the is the dead devotion if you only have two emotions and those are the two albums that make you react they have to line up to one of those things um this is the last time. This is the uh, talks about being in a uh, your love is such a swamp, right? Again, the being underwater, having your senses deadened, being unsure about what to do. How did I get myself back in a situation like this? Um, baby, you gave me bad ideas. Baby, you left me sad and high. 
right? Why do you keep returning to situations that you know aren't going to be good for you, where you're going to be depressed? Maybe you're happy for a minute, but then you realize, oh, what did I get myself back into? Oh, don't tell anyone I'm here. I got for them to put these songs back to back that have very similar motifs. This is the last time. And Graceless, I think, are very similar. It's like a sequel. Right? Just building yeah. off what you just did beforehand. Um, uh, graceless, it means both you know, being without grace, the person, and being without grace, the, the quality. That's another really sneaky, good piece of a songwriting there with, uh, with, uh, with Graceless. There are so many little parts here. And I think it's one of the reasons why I love that second album so much and why I love Trouble Will Find Me so much. When I am paying so much attention to the lyrics as I am with The National, as I talked about at the start of the show, when all these parts fit together, it's just so rewarding. You know, when, you, mm-hmm. when you're listening to track 11 and you're reminded of track two, or right, when all those things fit together, it's just a wonderful music moment and i think that's one of the reasons why i think trouble will find me is their best yeah the individual parts are wonderful but then in their whole they become even better and so I mean, we haven't talked about i need my girl yet but okay. if you pair that with i should live in salt right he, he starts the album out by almost having this argument where he says you know don't make me read your mind you know me better than that you know me so well that i can't know what you know, you're thinking and, and he is having this um, almost plea with her on I should live in salt with, you know, please don't make me do all of these things. We, we, we know each other better than this. We love each other. And then there's this, this creeping temptation to leave. And he, he hates himself for it. Um, you know, I, I should live in salt. Right. And then eventually by the, uh, towards the um, end of the album, well, he, he succumbed to temptation. His girl's not there, and he needs her. Um, and it's almost this realization of a, of a thing that you've done and uh, having to live with the consequences and just you thought it was bad before, and now it's terrible, and you, you really feel for him on I Need My Girl. Remember when you lost your shit and drove the car into the garden? You got out and said I'm sorry To the vines no one saw I need my girl I need my girl I'm under the gun again I know I was a fool 
percent of them. I know I was a lot of things, but I am good. I am grounded. David says that I look taller. And um, sometimes it's nice to take a step away and realize that uh, he hasn't lived all of this. He he still is happily married to his uh, New Yorker editor wife, and hopefully, um, features like in the title of right. several songs and such like as well. By the way, I'd like to thank both Scott and Phil for literally stealing every single thought I had to add about one of the best national albums of all. So uh, that's really nice. I, I, I literally just incorporate everything you two have said. You guys covered all the songs that I wanted to discuss. Do you have anything t- anything, anything great to say about Pink Rabbits, which I didn't talk about, but I think it's one no, of the best songs no, here? No, but it, I do want to sandbag you guys in return by, <laughs> by, by stealing the single best song on their next album, maybe one of the best songs of their entire career. And of course, this, of course, the National took their sweet time. It was another four years, three years, coming up with a follow-up to uh, Trouble Will Find Me, and that's Sleep Well Beast. Uh, and gosh, you know, everyone says, well, is Trouble Will Find Me their best album? Some people will say this one might be their best album. I disagree. Uh, I, I will definitely say, though, that the system only dreams in total darkness is easily... <laughs> one of the best national songs of all time and it is the kind of the perfect you know marriage of music to lyrics which is the point i keep returning to here on the show i can't i just am amused that the music is this very angry choppy post-punk kind of uh jam ramble it, it, it almost it almost barely re- resembles a pop song right uh, and then Berninger's lyric is just this fantastic musing on i guess what it was the nature of being trapped inside faith who is he who is he speaking to in that is he speaking to god or is he speaking to another person you know he when he says like you know uh, i thought this would all work out for a while or after a while but now you're saying i'm asking for too much attention but no other faith is light enough for this place we said we'd only die of lonely secrets the system only dreams in total darkness why are you hiding from me you know, we're in a different kind of thing now. I'm I'm compelled by the mystery of this lyric. And, of course, it's a mystery that, you know, fans of the band probably have already solved and they're laughing at me because they know exactly <laughs> what it's about. I don't know yet. I want to maybe not know for a little while longer because everything about this song is everything but late period national. As they're kind of developing into their moon-shaped pool era radiohead late phase you know kind of like you know the king of limbs moon-shaped pool you know this is them at their best this is just almost shocking again for a band that had been at it since 2001 
think this is also probably the only rack uh, the only rock album of all time that that is going to not reference a president but reference his chief political <laughs> advisor like did you guys notice the carl rove moment in here yes yes where yes. he he does the weird like voiceover about the reality-based community yeah it's, this, it's the then, ron suskin article from the journal yeah, yeah. or for the times i can't remember what it was we're an empire now when we when we act, we create our own reality. I okay, don't even well, mind the th- politics, man. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I don't it's, mind a, it's all amber to me at this point. It's all encased in an amber. But pair that with fake empire, and it, they, they certainly uh, are um, not afraid to do new things uh, on this album like they were with the, the previous one. Um, yeah. I appreciate that about the National. They, they were successful at this point, but they're still willing to take risks that are, um, you know, potentially disastrous i mean who would have expected this i, I mean I, I like the left turn as i said this almost feels like a very natural evolution almost back into the the softness of their earliest records i'm not sure about that uh i, yeah. I, I think this is the one uh, it's hard to call it a misstep but i think it's one place where they don't quite land on solid footing um it's an album in which they are stretching their legs I remember we talked about boxer everything's around three and a half minutes there are a lot of songs here that go past five minutes, uh, close to six minutes. You've got to earn that time. And I think that, you know, they're, they're I don't want to say experimenting. That's not the right word. They're, they're expanding a bit with these you know, drum loops and digital crunches and little bleeps and bloops. And what I don't love is that here, and I, I think to an extent they figure this out by the next album, but on Sleep Well Beast, they feel to me like they are appendages and not necessarily parts of the song. They, they, they had not figured out how to use these um, the, the, these new augmented things they're bringing to their songs to improve the songwriting. It's They're just sort of added to the song. I don't know if that even makes sense. I think they figure this out by the next album, but here it still sounds a little stilted to me, not natural, not not good enough to my ears it's not to say there's not good stuff here i just think on the whole as they're sort of bringing in these new qualities to some of the songwriting it's not quite as smooth as i would want it to be but there's good stuff in uh, like day i die which is very up tempo especially for uh the nationals very pummeling drum track behind it and uh again you don't always hear this bravado especially or except on something like all the wine but on day i die i love the Line, young mothers love me. Even ghosts of girlfriends call from Cleveland. They will meet me anytime and anywhere. That's not the kind of bravado you usually hear in a national song. I don't need you, I don't need you. Besides, I barely ever see you anymore. And when I do, it feels like you're only halfway there. Young mothers love me. Enjoy it, cause I really don't. 
I'll Still Destroy You starts with this fluttering drum program. And that's one where, again, I, I don't think it works out quite the way that they want it to or, or the, way I, I, the way I would want to hear it work. Um, it feels like an appendage. It feels like it's been t- sort of tacked on as opposed to being part of the songwriting. Guilty Party I like. Um, and again, connected to Karen at the liquor store, which is the very next song. There are a couple of really good things here. I just think, on the whole, quality-wise, and I know, based on what I've read, this is a very well-liked album, so I'm probably in the minority, but I think it's my least favorite from this from this era. I would agree with you. It's not as exciting as Boxer. Um, it's not as exciting as High Violet. It's good, and you're glad that it's there, but it's not the favorite. I say your name. I say I'm sorry I'm the one doing this There's no other way It's nobody's fault No guilty party I just got nothing Nothing left to say It all So, I mean, what the National did next is, you know, what every band normally does, which is take five years off and then return to music making uh, with uh, basically a new female lead singer as, as Fairport Convention, in other words. Or actually, no, four, four female lead singers. I don't know exactly how you characterize their, their most recent album, uh, which is, I actually think, uh, a complete miracle. But I Am Easy to Find from 2019 is a record that is overstuffed for sure. Oh. It's too long. It's 63 minutes long. I take out four songs. And even though I would remove four songs, I am so impressed with it because, first of all, the lyrics, again, just are growing. And, and you know, he they're aging along with him in, in a very kind of a, a, a sensible and reasoned way. But the music is getting more and more fascinating. And this bizarre one-off, I hope it's not a one-off, introduction of, like, guest vocalists works incredibly well mm. <laughs> i mean i have to say like this this is actually kind of as i said it, it gives them a fairport convention energy you've got you know both the male and the female vocalists and you need that sometimes because these songs are so emotional and based around romantic and personal things and that you need two voices and so like yeah i am easy to find is is i guess currently although they, there's a new album that's going to be coming soon apparently this is where the, the nationals career currently ends and this is the one that i guess makes me realize i'm really going to become eventually a hardcore and serious fan of this band because they're not losing their fastball at all they're just changing it maybe they're turning it into a spitball Love 
something that we haven't talked about is one of the things that they've been doing when they've taken time off. Um, Matt Berninger has his own solo project band on the side, ELVY. And if you listen to those albums, like it's the national, but at the same time, it, it's not. It still has strong vocals, um, strong lyrics, but it, it's just different enough to make you want the band to come back together and, and to, to return to what they're doing. You know, the parts make the whole. And Meanwhile, uh, Aaron Dessner's be, been becoming a very rich man during yeah. COVID by uh, becoming uh, Taylor Swift's co-writer for those two COVID co-lockdown albums that she released, the folky ones. I, I'm not a big Swifty, but apparently Swift fans think that they're really great records. I wouldn't <laughs> know. Um, but I mean, talk I don't, about talk I, about our lucrative side gig. I, I think we should end the conversation there because Political Beats does not want to get into a massive online war with the Swifties. It's it's very dangerous. I've done it before. Not good. No, that's never going to end well. Scott? Yeah, this this is what I think Sleep Well Beast could have been. I, I, I think by this point they've assimilated some of those new songwriting techniques on the musical side, and that shows up here. To Jeff's point, it's long. It's 62 minutes. You're going to have a higher whiff rate, a higher whiff percentage when you go that long. There are a couple of things here that just don't interest me. Uh, uh, hairpin turns, um, the pull of you. Those are not my favorite tracks on this album. But boy, those female vocals. And Jeff made this point. You know, so many of these songs for the past 20 years now have been from the from the male point of view uh, in relationships, and you never hear the other voice and all of a sudden you do hear the other voice in some places here on this album but it works really well i have no idea who is it mina tyndall and she's the vocalist on oblivions which is one of my favorite tracks on i am easy to find this is um uh she's just she just really plays well off of off of the voice of of um berninger and that's a great track. You know, you say yes when I ask. Oh, I love this line. I, I couldn't figure, find my note. Um, you say yes when I ask uh, me to marry you, you to marry me. You don't know what you're doing. Um, I, I love that idea. Like, like, why do you say yes so quickly? Don't you know what this entails? Don't you know all the... Haven't you heard the, the rest of these albums? All these fights and the things we have to talk about and kids and relationships and jealousy that... Like, there's a lot here. You sure you want to say yes? You're gonna say yes so quickly. I love that little little kind of kind of dig on on oblivion. Still always you every morning I think of no matter what how I want you Kansas is sort of a typical national song. It's sort of 
uh, unadorned by some of the new songwriting. That actually is one of my favorites here. There's a- well, I think it's actually very atypical in a lot of ways. I want to talk about that yeah, one. Yeah, well, go ahead. Know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about not in Kansas is that this is as close as he ever got to a Bob Dylan epic. Berninger is a lyricist. I mean, this thing kind of rambles on and it has... I don't know. Some he doesn't seem to have any form or shape. What is it about? I'm not sure. It has so many memorable lines, <clears throat> and there's this moment where he's talking. You know, obviously he's he's he makes a reference to this obscure German artist who I I couldn't believe uh, that he had done it. It's Hannah Darbavin. You know, had a great idea. Make a list and write it down, which is like a you know an art creative idea. Um, and then he goes into talking about like you know how his old bedroom has been bulldozed and turned into like a gun room, but then there's this wonderful musing on like religion and faith and theology in the middle of the second verse, and like I remember just writing it down as I was listening to it. Where he, it's hilarious. Where he, first of all, he he talks about how the first testament of the Bible was really great. The sequel is incredible. It was like the Godfathers <laughs> or the first two Strokes albums. You know, every document's indelible, which is funny because I don't think that second Strokes album is that good. You know, but, uh, you know, smidges of bad ecstasy. I must have left it in my pocket with my Christianity and my rocket. And then these lines, just like almost cultural references where it's almost like it's catnip to me. So I'm listening to R.E.M. again, begin the begin over and over, over and over. Um, And this is actually normally my least favorite style of national music, which is to say the slow ballads. You know, there's racing like a pro off of Boxer, which I think is the best form of that. This is fascinating to me just because it is uh, so nakedly centered around what Berninger has to say. And he just muses. And then, of course, on that third verse, he gets all the ladies in to sing with him. If the sadness of life makes you tired and the failures of a man make you sigh, you can look to a time sooning arriving when this noble experiment winds down and calls it a day, which is a really sad sentiment when you think about it. Like, hey, you know what? If you're really disappointed, well, we'll all die. It'll all be over (laughs) soon at some point. And that will be your consolation. Gosh, I love it, even though it's very non-traditional. It's probably not the first place I'd try to introduce someone to this band. You even get to wear a dress and feed a slurs to wayward daughters. Everyone is so impressed. Teachers, neighbors, mothers, fathers. First Testament was really great. The sequel was incredible. Like the godfathers of the first two strokes, every document's indelible. Infidels and heartbreak beats, smidges of bad ecstasy. I must have left it in my pocket with my Christianity and my rocket. I'm pinching hard on a net bennet and listening to R.E.M. again. Begin to begin, over and over, begin to begin. Over and over, I am not in Kansas. Where I am, I don't know where. Take me for a walk and blame this on the water dripping off the spear. The other one I wanted to point out is I've mentioned over and over all these water themes and motifs and drowning and underwater and and uh and 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 uh swampiness and we get a song on i'm easy to find called underwater so think of all the fun we could have with that lyrically 
and no, 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 no. It's 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 an instrumental. Sorry. Yeah. But, right. <laughs> Uh, all this talk about water. I like the instrumentals. Like, there's a line. There's one of them called like "Her Father in the Pool," and I had to think like, I God, I hope that doesn't refer to something like, like somebody didn't find their father in the pool. Like, did they? Because it seems like such a specific image to find, and it's it's a sad little one minute squib, and it's very beautiful. But you think to yourself, oh God, that's the soundtrack to somebody discovering a body. You know, like I don't know again. This is all music to me. I don't have any texts or contexts. So I always wonder what that song was supposed to actually be about. Phil? Uh, this this album um, is obviously very good because we like The National and they make good things. But this oh, album does not do it so far me. so fast. Oh, darn. I, you don't doesn't do it for you. I mean, I, I obviously... Um, I mean... Uh, this is the album that with with Lightyear on it, right? Um, right. I I don't know. This is this is one of these albums where it's still like I can listen to it, but I haven't dived into the lyrics yet. And I think that that might be one of the reasons why um, you know I love the National because it's returning to old memories and reminiscing about things done and things that I have left undone. Uh, but for I'm easy to find. Um, you know, it's a soundtrack for things that haven't happened yet, at least for me. And so I, uh, I don't know. I, I haven't um, appreciated it as much as I should have. I'm not afraid of being alone. I just don't know what to do with my time. Between you and me, I thought it would all last a little while longer. But I'm learning to lie here in the quiet light. I think of you know things about soundtracks for things that haven't happened yet, and I think of musically, where is this band's future heading? And I don't know yet because apparently there's a new album that'll be coming out. COVID, you know, put things on lockdown, so to speak, for them. You know, and so they've been slow getting back up on their feet. We'll see. But when I look at the last half of of so far so fast that electronica rhapsody there that actually feels almost something almost out of star trek in a weird way uh it, it, you know and you think of the title moving so far so fast it, it has a bit of 2001 to it mm -hmm. musically and that, i find that to be just such a beautiful musical moment and i think that is going to be their future hopefully which of course is so far removed from the way they began it's a move into electronica. But again, it's the kind of move that's a little scary, but that bands who have the balls to do it and pull it off make, like like Radiohead did when back in Kid A in 2000. And I think that that's, that might be the way that they should go. That won't please a lot of national fans, I imagine, who want some good rock and post-punk tunes. But I, I feel like the electronica stuff, actually, it, it feels the most vital on this record to me. And it actually excites me. And again, this is why I'm like... Talk to me in a year, man. I'm going to have such, such stronger and more firmly thought out opinions. Yeah. 
I am just looking forward to, you know, considering the path of I'm Easy to Find and uh, Newfound Connections to the next album being uh, The National featuring Taylor Swift on vocals. Yeah. F- f- female vocals, national songs. There you well, go. You know what? It's going to be it's going to be the second full remake of 1989. <laughs> you know, uh, they're going to do better than Ryan Adams did. It won't be slow draggy acoustic dirges. This yeah. time. A lot of electronica this time. All right. I, I all think right. I think we've reached that part of the the episode in which uh, all three of us give you and this is this is important for uh, for at least two thirds of us who uh, are coming to this as essential newbies, and so these are the songs that we think that uh, if you're new to the National too, you might enjoy. But that's that's in a moment. First, we turn the floor over to our guest, Phil Wegman, White House reporter for Real Clear Politics, to uh, give us his two albums that you should own, five songs you need to hear from the National. Phil. Oh, this is going to be rough. Um, I think that if I had to narrow it down in a true desert island situation, I would go with Boxer obviously, but then trouble will find me. Um, I I love them both from start to finish and my top five tracks. I mean, I love Blood Buzz Ohio uh, because I've been making that road trip to and from DC uh, plenty of times and Blood Buzz Ohio is great. I mean, how often do you hear uh, guys who spend all their time in LA or Brooklyn singing about uh, the Midwest that that is something that I appreciate. But um, yeah, Mr. November, fantastic. So is Fake Empire. Um, and I don't know if you're human, if you're not haunted by I Should Live in Salt and I Need My Girl. So those are my two albums and five tracks. All right. <clears throat> my two albums are Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers, the, the second one. And I agree with Phil, Trouble Will Find Me, which I think is their best album. Uh, narrowing down to five songs, uh, Murder Me, Rachel, from uh, Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers. I'm going to audible from my original list. I'm going to say Karen, uh, Squalor Victoria, and then Demons, which I think might be the, the best introduction to the band for a new listener. Demons is a song I would probably say first. And then a song I didn't get a chance to talk about. Uh, earlier, but one I think is is one of the best on Trouble Will Find Me, and that is Pink Rabbits. There's some really just marvelous couplets on on that song. I'm so surprised you went to dance with me now. I was just getting used to living life without you around. Uh, And later, you you didn't see me. I was falling apart. I was a television version of a person with a broken heart. Uh, Set to this really nice sort of piano ballad. Pink Rabbits is, is a highlight of the album and of the Nationals' career. That's my song number five. Jeff, over to you. Well, this is a pointless exercise, given that I've 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 been only become familiar with the band <laughs> since the last two and a half weeks. And so if you ask me, you know, tomorrow, not you know, not to say next week from now, they'll probably give you different answers. But the two albums I'd say Alligator clearly has to be, because it's A, the one where they first really figured it out, but B, I just some of this music thrills me so much I had to had like eliminate songs from my list. Second one is I'm Boxer is great and I really enjoy it, but I think I'll skip it and, and instead I'm gonna have to go with um uh Trouble that Trouble will find me with with um God, trouble will find me. Okay, see, I was going to say trouble will find me or high violet, but it's really hard to choose. And again, my opinions aren't fully settled. My five songs 
I will uh, start with uh, Slipping Husband off of uh, Sad Songs for Dirty Lovers. I guess that's the moment where they, they really seem to have put it all together, in my opinion. I love that. Uh, from Alligator God, such, such a great album. There's so many songs you could choose. I'm going to go with two. I'm going to have to say both Secret Meeting and Mr. November make it, okay? Because it's just that good of a record. From High Violet, I would say Blood Buzz Ohio, just like you know Phil said. It's a fantastic song. Um, from uh, from Sleep Well Beast, I have to say the system only dreams in total darkness. And then I think for my last one, I will say one that I didn't otherwise mention. And I, I know I'm cheating because I can do that because I'm the host. This is my sixth pick. And I'll pick one from I Am Easy to Find. It's the first song on the record. We didn't discuss it, but it should be discussed. And that, of course, is... Um, uh, you had your soul with you, which is a beautiful little track. I think it was the lyrics were entirely written by uh, by Berninger's wife. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And uh, good job. This is what I mean. It's like no Yoko Ono uh, in this case. Like she's really just it makes <laughs> well. We don't lyrics. we don't know. We haven't heard her sing yet. I suppose. Well, I, you know, for all you know, the band dynamic is pretty tough or something <laughs> like that. But no, I'm just saying that like she is adding a lot artistically to this group and it just makes the sort of the creative dynamic between all of them rather fascinating as well. Again, uh, it, this is going to be just a fun one to return to over time because I cannot believe I went so long without knowing a thing about The National. There we go. The Political Beats look at The National. We thank our guest on today's program, White House reporter for Real Clear Politics and Real Clear News. Find him on Twitter at Philip Wegman. Hear him often in the White House press briefing room. Phil Wegman, thanks so much for joining us again. I think the, the record right now for longest uh, period between Political Beats appearances, because it was like show 12 or something for CCR, and now show one, whatever it is, 18, I think, for uh, for the National. You were on super double secret probation for a while, <laughs> but then we let you off. <laughs> well, imagine uh, four years from now when we do this again with some other band. Well, well, well I mean, you like should then. just imagine, you know, Sean Trendy's really on our blacklist, because he That's was right. number one, yeah. and he still hasn't been. Sean's a great friend of the show, but that that will be the longest whenever he returns. That's true. Uh, Jeff, at Esoteric CD, we, uh, we drive into the end of 2022. I'm actually working as we speak on, on plans for 23 and going through my big spreadsheet and finding out who's available and how we might want to start the year. We'll do a, 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 a poll on Patreon for our supporters to say, what do you want to hear first? All that coming in the next couple of weeks here on uh, on the Patreon side of Political Beats. I mean, I can say this much, Scott. You know, in the new year, you might want to be visiting your proctologist. That might sound a little gross, but there there might be an enema in your future. Okay. Or uh, am I tossing a lateralist here? Yes, I get what you're throwing down. Uh, Jeff yeah. on Twitter, at EsotericCD. You can find me on Twitter, at Scott Bertram. Remember, patreon.com slash political beat. Support us. Help the show stay ad-free. Entry level, mid-level, and then upper level. You get higher audio quality for the shows, early access, monthly exclusive content shows like this month's Ask Us Anything, remastered episodes, playlists, voting, much more, all at patreon.com slash political beats. And now we come to the part of the episode where we thank some of our Patreon supporters individually for their support of this program, Political Beats. We say thank you to Chuck Turner, Norman Fleischer, David Battig, Paul Ritchie, Richard Kikuchi, Jim Dedman, Jeff Peake, Josh Craman, Wendy Toriel, 
Anthony Fisher, also a former guest, Don Walheim, Eric Martins, and Brian Mumbert. Thank all of you and the rest who support us over at patreon.com slash politicalbeats and help make this show possible. You can also subscribe to the feed for those new episodes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, nationalreview.com. Click on the podcast tab and find us and so many other great shows. We're on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Join the conversation at political underscore beats. This has been a... I just wanted to say, by the way, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everyone. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you again. Unless something very strange happens, we'll talk to you again in 2023. That's the play. Sorry to interrupt you and your patter there, Scott. That's all right. I was just getting into the big windup. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Political Beats.